Hey, Terry. May God add his blessing to the reading of the scriptures this morning, and may the words from my mouth be what each of us needs to hear today. Years ago, there was a well-known televangelist who sent prayer cloths out to thousands and thousands of his followers, his viewers, and he told them that God had supposedly told him that the prayer cloth would be a good point of communication or a point of contact between him and the people, and that these prayer cloths would release God's blessing. But there was one condition. They needed to send lots of money with the prayer cloth. Otherwise, it wouldn't work. Or as he put it, sow your very best seed. If you return the cloth with some money, then he promised you great prosperity. He said, send me your prayer cloth as my point of contact. When I touch your cloth, it will be like touching you. When you touch this cloth, it will be like taking my hand and touching me. I want the anointing that God has put upon my life for miracles of finances and prosperity to come directly from my hand to yours. You can live like royalty. Send in your prayer cloth and money. He said that within months of sending in her prayer cloth, one lady got $286,000 in bonds and $65,000 in cash. And as a bonus, her alcoholic husband stopped drinking. That was a pretty great deal. Get rich and have your family problems solved just by sending in a prayer cloth. Here's another story to think about. Reverend Patrick Leary is the rector at the Shrine of the Most Holy Redeemer in Las Vegas, Nevada. He says the visitors to the cathedral there often make the same request because they're in Vegas. They say, Father, will you pray for me that I'll win? Pointing around at the beautiful church that they're in, Father Leary always answers them the same way. He says, I tell them if it was that easy, do you think we'd have debt on this place that you're standing in? I believe in the power of prayer, but even prayer has its limits. Do you believe that even prayer has its limits? If we do, what do we do with these words in verse 14 that Terry just read for us? These words, if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Well, Dr. Leslie Weatherhead once said that when he was a high school student, he had a really tough exam. And so... Having read that verse, and whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do, he figured that this meant that he didn't have to work hard or study or do anything to pass the exam, that if he would just pray and believe, that he would get a good grade on his test. And so the next day, he took the test, and surprise, surprise, he failed. He was upset. He said he almost lost his faith. He came to the conclusion that the promises of the Bible were no good because God had not granted his wish for a good grade, like a genie. The next year, he said he had to repeat that course. He worked hard, and he passed. This time, he decided, well, I guess I don't need God. I could get along just fine without him. He said that it took him years to understand That his abilities, his mind, his brain, the things that God had given him in the first place, 
were really the power that God had given him that he could pass that test and many other things in life. He realized that God had already given him the power to pass the test, but he just didn't use that power the first time around. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. That's quite a claim. Let's take a look at it just a little bit closer. Notice, first of all, that Jesus is talking to his disciples. He says, don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father's in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own, but the Father abiding me in me does this work. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me. And then he says, I say to you, who, he who believes in me, the works that I do, shall he do also. And greater works than these shall he do. Because I go to the Father, and whatever you ask in my name, that will I do. That the Father, and this is the qualifier, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Jesus is giving his disciples words of encouragement. They need that. He's about to leave them. They don't understand it yet, but they will. He's about to go away, and they're going to need all the encouragement that he can give them. He says, you've seen me heal the blind. You've seen me heal the lame, as I talked, to, uh, talked about with the kids. And he says something that is really astounding. You're going to do greater works than that. Jesus was talking about the church, and he was talking to the church. He wasn't talking about new houses or new cars or even passing tests. He was talking about the work of his kingdom. He was saying that his disciples, when they decide to go into action doing the work of God, what God has called them to do, when they request God's help, nothing is impossible. And that's true. And I hope that you believe that's true. And nothing is impossible for the church of Jesus Christ. Dr. Robert Schuller, who was Mr. Possibility Thinking, said that there are two words that have killed more God-inspired dreams and hopes than anything else. The two words were, be realistic. Be realistic. If we Christians were realistic, we wouldn't accomplish much in this life. He gave the example of Tom Dempsey, who was a young man who was born with only half a right foot and a very deformed right arm. But he also had a ton of faith. Dempsey wanted to be a football player, you see. And in spite of his handicaps, he was determined. And he did play football. He became a kicker for his high school team. And then he wanted to play college ball. He became the kicker on his college team. And then after college, his dream became even bigger. He wanted to be a football player in the NFL, a professional football player with a half a foot and a deformed right arm. Impossible. No team would want him. No one, no, none would accept him. And he tried and tried, and coaches all shook their heads and said, no, I'll accept one. Fittingly enough, the New Orleans Saints the rest, as they say, is history. In 1972, Dempsey kicked the longest field goal up until that day. 
63 yards. All because he was not realistic. A realistic person would have said, well, I only have half a foot, and my arm is pretty messed up. I don't have a whole body here, so I don't think I can play football. But he said, I can play football, and I will. And all because he had that faith, he believed that he could do it, and he had a faith in God that was strong. He was able to do what he dreamed. Amazing things are accomplished in this world by people who believe, really believe, and do not give up. Our text for the day says that you and I are capable of amazing things when we decide to serve God. When we decide to serve Jesus and follow him. He was speaking to the church when he said, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Nothing is impossible for followers of Jesus Christ. But there is something else just as important. He adds a qualifier. And he says, whatever you ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified. Jesus, I believe, will do anything, anything that we ask, if it glorifies the Father. Here is where we miss the boat many times. Not everything we do in this church is always to the glory of God. I think most of the time we hit the mark, but we have our moments too, where we miss it. There's a story about a Rabbi Feldman who was having trouble with his congregation. It seemed that they couldn't agree upon anything. The president of the congregation said, Rabbi, this cannot continue. Rabbi said, there must be a conference and we must settle all areas of dispute once and for all. And so the rabbi, the president, and the ten elders of the church met in the conference room of the synagogue, sitting around a beautiful mahogany table. One by one, the issues were dealt with. And on each issue, it became more and more apparent that the rabbi was a lonely voice in the wilderness. He was saying things that made sense, but the others there were all disagreeing with him on every point. The president of the synagogue said, Rabbi, come on, enough of this. Let's vote and allow the majority to rule. Well, he passed out slips of paper, and each leader made his mark. The slips were collected, and the president said, You may examine them, Rabbi. It's 11 to 1 against you. We have the majority. The rabbi stood. He said, knowing that what he was saying was right, he said, You now think because of the vote that you are right, and my opinion is wrong. Well, it is not so. I stand here, and he raised his arms, and he called upon the Holy One of Israel to give us a sign that I'm making sense. I'm right. And as he said this, there came a loud crack of thunder and a flash of lightning that struck the mahogany table and smashed it, and it cracked in two. The room was filled with smoke. The president and the elders were on the floor. And through the mess, the rabbi remained standing with his hands still in the air. His eyes were flashing and he had a smile on his face. Slowly, the president lifted himself up above what used to be the table. His hair was singed. His glasses were hanging from one ear. 
His clothes were a mess. And he said, all right, 11 to 2. But we still have the majority. We all know that not everything that's done in the church is done to the glory of God. But wouldn't it be great if we had a dream for this church that was big enough that we would have to depend on God to accomplish it? And wouldn't it be great if we searched our hearts and our souls with prayer so that our dream would match God's dream? A group of pastors were asked recently how they believe Jesus would rate their church if, they were to, if he were to return to their church today. Well, 53% of the pastors said that Jesus would probably rate their church as having little or no positive impact on souls or on society. That's very sad. Isn't it great when we see concrete evidence that our community is a better community and our town is a better town because this church is here? That's true of this church. I know there's no IVCH right now, but there was for a long, long time, and it was to a very large degree the responsibility of the pastor of this church. The food pantry, which has been going on for over 40 years, was started by people and was supported all through those years by people from this church. The pad shelter in its infancy, when it was in the very beginning, I'm told that people slept right here in our church building. We were there getting it going along with others. You see, those are concrete. That's concrete evidence that this ministry is alive and that this ministry continues to be alive because we continue to support those very same places as well as others down through the years. And we will keep doing that. And if a new startup comes along, we'll get involved and we'll be a part of it. And when the, when the hospital opens back up, and I'm confident that it will, in one form or another, we'll, have, we'll once again have an emergency room and some other services over there. When that happens, we can say that this church our people supported it in the very beginning and got it started. It's good to know that this is a better town and a better community because of the efforts of the people who came before us as well as our people today. Jesus tells us that we can continue to see that evidence if we dream great dreams. And if those dreams are to God's glory and not to our own, and here's the last thing I have to say. You and I can have a part in great things, the great things that God is doing. I hear all about how churches are declining. I'm here to tell you this morning, God hasn't stopped working. And rest assured, God is still in control and always will be. I want to tell you a little story about a church called the Grace Baptist Church of Philadelphia. It's a very successful church. Dr. Russell Conwell founded that church a long time ago. At one point, he preached to more than 4,000 people on a Sunday morning. And here's the story. Listen to the story of how this church was started. 
There was a little girl whose name was Hattie Wyatt. Hattie went to Sunday school in a little old building that this church had. And one Sunday when she went to Sunday school, she couldn't get in. She couldn't get into the building because there were too many kids who wanted to go to Sunday school, and the building was full. So Hattie went back home that Sunday morning, and she was disappointed. But more than being disappointed, Hattie was determined that she was going to do something about this problem. The church wasn't big, the building wasn't big enough. So she started to save her pennies so that a church building big enough for everybody could be built. Kids, I love their simple way of thinking. She started saving her pennies until she saved up 57 pennies. Then she got terminally ill. And one day after she had died, her broken-hearted mother took that 57 cents and went to the pastor and told him that Hattie had been saving for a new church building, and here was the 57 cents that she had saved up. Well, obviously, the pastor was deeply moved, and he shared Hattie's vision with the little congregation in this little church that next Sunday. And he said, here we have seed money, 57 cents. That seed money, because of her commitment, raised many thousands of dollars, and they were able to build a nice new, large church building that was big enough for all the kids to go to Sunday school in. But that's not the end of the story. From that church came a university called Temple University. It has programs in every field, including law, medicine, dentistry, pharmacy, medical technology, lots more. The church and the university all owe their beginning to Hattie Wyatt and those 57 pennies. Impossible? No. It's the fulfillment of Jesus' promise to his church. What is your dream for Zion? Have you ever thought about that? What is your dream for this church? Why not think about it? Why not consider it prayerfully? And then why not? Let's put God to the test. Let's dream a dream for Zion UCC. A dream big enough that we can't do it by ourselves. But we have to depend on God in order for it to happen. And then let's do the work that's needed to be done to make that dream come true. And remember, Jesus' promise, whatever you ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Amen.